FM. This is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of the present, oh my God, of streaming media. This is episode 16, Emergency Podcast, April 22nd, 2022. I'm Jason Snell, and I'm joined, as always, but emergency, uh, this time by Julia Alexander, Senior Strategy Analyst at Parrot Analytics. Julia, oh boy, were things <laughs> happening immediately during and after we recorded episode 15. Yeah, you know, I went away to Canada for a week, mm. tried to have a vacation, and everything went uh, went bottoms up. <laughs> yeah, so our um, our mascot for this show, our fiscal, official mascot for this show, CNN Plus, passed away this week, <laughs> or at least it got a terminal uh, uh, diagnosis and will pass away uh, by the end of the month. Uh, but before we get there, as we were recording last time, Netflix's results came out, and it was a huge story about Netflix losing subscribers for the first time and warning that there were more changes afoot, and there were statements about changes in the, the way Netflix does business. There's so much going on there. I wanted to start, though, by asking you, are are we, or at least is is everybody making a little too much of this report since technically if they hadn't shut off their service in, in Russia, it would have not been their first quarter of um, of lost subscribers? So there's two takes I have on this, and they relate to each other, but they're also very different. On the one side of the report, the loss of 200,000 subscribers, the much worse guidance that they're giving for next quarter, which is yeah. estimating about 2 million uh, losses that are coming from all of their regions. Um, and we saw the loss of those 200,000 for this quarter across three different regions, um, or two different regions specifically, the United States and Canada and Latin America. Um, so on that side of the story, what we have here is a quality assurance problem. Right. We have uh, if content is king in entertainment, which it still is, Netflix has much more competition with much better uh, with much better content. And Netflix is not doing anything that people are necessarily going, well, I have to sign up for that. Or why do I have to keep this when I can go somewhere else and get something better? So that the 200,000 loss is a quality assurance problem that Netflix is trying to solve. They're about, you know, a year and a half. I would say there's probably about two more years, just the way that the process works of Netflix getting back to a point where maybe they are ordering less shows and movies or they're ordering specific types of things that they're not necessarily doing now. They're investing in the long-term longevity of those uh, pieces of content, not just the short-term hit. So that's one side. The second side of this equation is the, you know, CNBC stock market side of this, which is Netflix has dropped, you know, almost $200 billion uh, in valuation. Its peak was like just over $300 billion, and now it's sitting at under under $100 billion. Um, and there's this idea of, oh, God, is this the end of streaming? Is this the end of Netflix? <laughs> like, what does this mean? And I think this is just market correcting itself. I think the idea that Netflix was ever, it, we say this on the show all the time, the idea that Netflix was in FANG, the idea that Netflix was trading at that level when Disney and Paramount and some of the other companies are trading at like 150, 160 was an absolutely insane thing to see happen. Because Netflix, and the reason that this happened, and uh, Jason's talked about this on the show is that Netflix was seen as a tech company, right? It was this idea that they were building a platform, right. they were building an algorithm, and so they were getting the investment from a lot of people who said, well, we want to invest in you because we think you're going to be the next Google, Facebook, Apple in its own way. That is an, an insane thing to say. Yes, it's yeah. a great tech platform, but it's a media company. At the end of the day, and, and the, we get into this debate all the time, call it whatever you want. At the end of the day, its core value is the content that it's serving to people. So if the content diminishes, you're going to see subscriber loss, you're going to see uh, less demand across the, the pl across the board for what the shows you're putting out. You're going to see um, less ancillary revenue options to really make up the lost dollar. But 
Netflix trading, I think I can't remember what it was trading. You know what? Let me check right now as I talk. Netflix trading at um, whatever it is, is just, uh, I think it's just at $215, is a correction that was a long time in the making. The fact that we are seeing this pull forward effect still lasting on Netflix, which was the pandemic added a lot more subscribers to Netflix than it was expecting to in that year. It just means that this moment of Netflix going down in stock is an accelerated trend. But this was going to happen regardless with increased competition, because what we're seeing really is a healthy competitive marketplace. Like we have forgotten what competitive marketplaces feel like. And this is it. Like Netflix no longer has a monopolization on online video. Like like that is effectively a subscriber based online video. Like that is effectively what happened. And now Netflix is at a point where it's like, crap. Like we have to make sure our content is competitive with these with our competition. We also have to make sure that our price and uh, value is where it should be for our co- our customers. And we need to make sure that the experience is great. So that's kind of my long rambly take on it. No, I I think that's great. I I have in my notes here. Um, it's a realization that's a long time coming. And I think this is funny. I find it funny because I always talk, especially in my other life where I'm talking about Apple and uh, and the uh, Apple's business, that I try to explain to people, like, just because Apple made money that and the stock went down, that's not... People are like, well, why? It should go up because they made money. It's like, because mm, it's really about the future. And they, they gave guidance that said that next quarter will be harder or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, stock market is complicated. But I, you and I have talked about it. For a long time, as long as we've been talking about these things, that this day was going to happen. And I think it's funny. I think it shows you an interesting Wall Street tendency to not want to believe that 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 uh, gravity exists after the cartoon character is run off the cliff where it's like you're like no 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 it's going to keep going up and it's like that's not logical because now they have competition and what what you thought i was just listening to a podcast that likened it to peloton making lots and lots of bikes because they thought the pandemic sales bump was a uh a permanent boost in the market for their bikes when in fact it was a pandemic sales bump and how they kind of took it in the shorts because of that and it's a little like that it's like what you thought was netflix growing forever was actually netflix being importantly the the first to establish in this new area and take up a huge amount and grow really fast and no they're not facebook but what they did do is go from being nothing to being a player the number one player with with Disney and uh, Comcast, NBC Universal, and Paramount and Warner Media all scrambling to catch up with them. That's huge, right? They they created an established brand, uh, entertainment brand that is the leader in this category out of a decade ago, kind of nothing. And that's where all that value came from. But like now, it's game on. It's not they stay ahead forever. It's it's game on and, and realizing that they're an entertainment company and that it's all about the program. The, the other thing I wanted to talk about with you um, in this part of the emergency podcast was what where they change because, again, watching Apple and, and other tech companies has given me uh, like a little spider sense for this thing. But it's the um, it's a line from John Madden, the great football coach. I know you like sports. I know you like football. Um, he always said winning is a great deodorant. And it's like, as long as you're riding high, you have no reason to change anything, even if they're things that are bad, even if you know that they're bad, even if you know they don't work right, as long as you're winning, don't change anything. And I I have to wonder if this is that moment. And you saw it when they came out and said, not even an announcement, but almost like just trying to mollify angry investors that they were going to do an ad tier 
for Netflix, right? Which is such a revelatory move because it's like, yes, we admit it. We're going to have to do a cheaper tier with ads. That's just something we're going to have to do. Like, it feels to me like Netflix at this moment finally has looked down, realized they ran off the cliff. And, you know, is it possible that we're going to see a whole lot of changes in the Netflix culture now that they're not winning and the deodorant isn't working anymore? I mean, I love that line. I, I think it's, it's so re- it's tr- so true. I, I always use it about the App Store, right? It's like App Store was totally broken, but as long as the App Store was successful, Apple didn't care it was broken because they were winning. Yeah, the biggest cultural change that's going to happen at Netflix is going to come down to the spending. And by what what I mean by that is Netflix spends a lot, as we know. There, you know, the Wall Street Journal reported yesterday that Netflix is aiming to spend about twenty billion dollars in content uh, next year, which would again be another peak in content spending. But Netflix does not necessarily spend wisely. Like Netflix is not necessarily investing in the long-term value proposition of its content, which is the idea that if you eventually, with Star Wars and Marvel, like let's always use those two. And again, I always have to say this because people get mad. uh, It's very difficult to make really good television. It's nearly impossible. It is very easy to make a lot of television. I'm not saying that Netflix (laughs) should, oh yeah, just make Star Wars. I get it. It's extremely difficult. But- if we think about what those what those series did for Disney from a business perspective, is those series now make money on their own? Like they invested four billion dollars in both of them, and Marvel alone at the box office is more than thirty billion. So like that has made twenty six billion dollars alone at the box office. You don't even take into account all of the PJs and the Disney World trips and whatever else it might be. When they invest in something Disney, when they go to acquire something, when they go to invest, the big question for them always is what does this look like five ten years from now? How do we turn this into something that generates its own ongoing demand that generates its own ancillary revenues um, because that is what people love. And what people love about Disney, and this is where Disney invests, where I think Netflix absolutely does not, and this is what, what it comes down to at its core, Disney invests in character. Disney goes, how can this character become something that creates long-term love for a child who goes into their teenage years, is, mul- is, is ideally multi-generational, which means that families will love it as they, uh, you know, throughout the throughout the next decades. Um, and also, how can we then put them into a, a new world and people will follow it because they love the character and that's spinoffs and sequels and whatever that might be. Disney has done this for decades and it consistently works for them. They always invest in in character. When they acquire, it's character driven. Netflix invests in the idea of genre and Netflix invests in the idea of data supported audience. Now, what I mean by that is Netflix goes and they say, well, we knew that our audience really loves sci-fi, so we're going to order a bunch of sci-fi. But they're not necessarily asking why people like the sci-fi things that they love. And I promise you, you can ask any creative development person, it is character. It's always going to come back to that. But Netflix kind of goes, well, we'll do something along those lines. It fits within this this demographic. And and I think that's really going to help us. The audience side of the equation is basically, what are we not fulfilling that we need to fulfill? And that's really how you get to that four quadrant service of women and men above 25 and below 25. And that's where you get a lot of the investment in new reality programming, new unscripted programming. It's where you get a lot of kids content coming in because kids content is this beautiful magic thing where it's both a high acquisition customer driver, but it's also a high retention driver if you're in the, once you get into a groove of with it. With it. Um, and so Netflix has all this data and Netflix has all this money. And so they go, well, we're going to try to hit all of the demographics that we need to hit to keep engagement up, to make sure that people who are ca- thinking of canceling don't cancel, that so we can bring in new customers who are maybe looking for something new to watch. Um, but they don't actually invest in long-term quality. The quality assurance, again, is not there. And so what you get is a lot of meandering content that exists for like a day or two, and then people forget about it. Um, 
And then even more so, when Netflix does make the bet and the big bet, and they say, well, we think this is going to be a huge franchise for us. We're going to, you know, green light two, three seasons off the bat when we, we go to, once we go to uh, go live with season one. It turns out the people still don't necessarily care about it. You know, with Cowboy Bebop, that show lasted like three weeks or four weeks before yeah. it was canceled. And they were going to go to season two. It Jupiter's Ascending, which was a $150 million loss for them effectively because they'd lost out on the potential growth of a franchise, was uh, a thing where they had to scrap whatever plans they had for it. And so that's what I mean. When we talk about the issue with Netflix, it is – the spending is not wise spending. And I think that's going to be the biggest cultural difference. It's not necessarily ads. And the ad situation, people make a big deal out of it because, of course, like Reed Hastings, who's the co-CEO, said for years and years, we're not going to do ads. And now he's saying, well, we're going to do ads. And I tweeted about this and I was like, you know, Netflix always used to say we want to be HBO before HBO becomes us. And they arguably achieved that like they they did. Like I think they got to a point early on in their in their tenure of making shows where it did feel like that, except they're no longer there. And also, if HBO is going to do ads, which they do with HBO Max, then I guess Netflix can do ads like if, if that is your main competitor. That's what you're thinking about. Well, okay, if they're going to do ads and they're going to bring an additional 3 million subscribers through an ad-supported tier, and, and actually their average revenue per user is going to increase because they uh, this is what happened with Hulu. Hulu saw the ad, the, the ARPU for their customers uh, increase on the ad-supported tier, which they kind of assumed yeah. and they saw it happen, um, which is great because it also means like your attention's higher, the engagement's higher, advertisers are happier. Like, all of these things happen from the strategy and business side that make it a much big, better play. But with Netflix – like the idea of ads is not going to effectively change the culture because for people who don't want ads, you're not going to get ads. Like that's fine. Like you can just continue paying what you're going to pay um, for people who do want ads. And I think this is where it's really important. If we look at the churn rate for Netflix, which is still lower than anyone else in the industry, but if we break down who is uh, canceling their service and why, it tends to be people over 50 and people between 18 and 24. And we can guess as to what the why those two groups are leaving. 18 and 24, hyper aware of where they're spending their money on streaming. And so if they don't want to watch something on Netflix because they want to go to HBO Max, they're just going to cancel Netflix. Like they're just going to yeah. cancel and they'll come back. Over 50, those tend to be low engagement users. So if once you put in price hikes, once you put in content that they're not necessarily interested in, and again, like their price is going up, they're going to cancel. The lowest churn, which means the people who keep their plans the most, are 34, uh, sorry, 28 or 30 to, to 45, 48. What is that? That's a family. Like that is the, that's a group of people who are saying, hey, actually the service does have a little bit of something for everyone. The kids content on Netflix is actually extremely good. And so you're not going to cancel it. You're, you're going to keep it for the family. But- the, it's the it's those first two categories that are in our especially the eighteen to twenty four that is your tastemaker group. They're the ones who are going to go out and create additional transmedia to support the shows. They're going to be the ones engaging with content outside of it, who are going to be recommending their friends to go watch it, and they're leaving to go to HBO Max at, first and foremost, and other services like Disney Plus, and they no longer need Netflix, especially as Netflix prices increase, especially as the quality continues to diminish. And so my big thing with the cultural shock happening at Netflix is going to be, hey, you actually have to start thinking like a lot of these uh, legacy media companies, which you never claim to do, but they get it. Like I, there's a reason that Casey Boys and his team at HBO and HBO Max are as protected as they are with every acquisition of that company because they are tastemakers. They are creating cultural hits. So every quarter people aren't canceling because there's something to watch. So I think the big the changes that you're going to see at Netflix, one of the content spending, but two is I think you're going to see in the next few years a real discussion on how to um, release their shows because I think there's this idea of like, well, if we have a show that's really great like Stranger Things, and by the way, 
this is how bad you know it is for Netflix right now. Stranger Things and Umbrella Academy pre- premiere next quarter, and they're still guiding their investors to a two million loss. Like that, <laughs> they're still saying like we're going to lose customers, even despite our two biggest show or two of our biggest shows coming back. Um, but I think they're going to have this moment where they're saying not only is HBO Max and Apple TV Plus and Amazon or whoever putting out these great shows that people want to talk about, and that's awesome. They're also doing it with the three episode drop and then weekly, and HBO is specifically just weekly. And it works for them in terms of retention because customers are not going to cancel their service every single week to sign up. They would rather just keep it. And by the time that show's done, there's another show or movie that they're interested in. So I think what we're going to see see happen and change at Netflix is actually a little bit on the boring side if we think about it. It's not that the ads are the next big thing. Like the ads will help with customer acquisition and retention. I have no doubt about that. The biggest thing is choosing where to spend that money and it's got to be on character it has to be on developing character-led franchises that really really can span multiple different genres and bring people in um and two it's going to be on how we think of netflix it's no longer going to be necessarily you know solely binge release like they are already experimenting with this and those experiments will continue and expand yeah, it does feel like the it's not just development but it, it is that like I've heard a lot of people say netflix has has had a volume model for a while and it does, not that they don't want hits but that that there's been a lot this idea that there's just so much coming on Netflix that it overwhelms you and like there's something for everybody just keep getting Netflix but what they're what they've missed and I know this was like topic 1 for us when we first started talking is this idea of building out the franchises and it's been hard for them and they've tried but it is interesting to think about mm-hmm. development and also how marketing and the release planning, which is part of the marketing, goes with that, which is getting that extended conversation. Like for for ages, this is one of those examples of winning being a great deodorant. Is like for ages now, uh, people have said, "I don't," you know, the binge the binge drop model made Netflix famous, but it's actually harmful in some ways. And when Netflix was riding high, they didn't care about the ways it was harmful because it didn't matter. They're Netflix, and now it's like, oh yeah, you look at all their competitors, literally all their competitors who parcel out the the shows weekly because they invested billion a billion dollars in a 10 episode show and if they can get eight or ten weeks of promotion out of it that's better than a weekend so mm-hmm. like I, I I and then it is there binging is great right it's there forever yeah. binge watch is there forever after it releases but you want the buzz before the binge so uh, I hope they. I hope they change. I. I do really feel like listening to, especially those comments after the, after the announcement. It feels to me like there are not really any uh, sacred cows at Netflix. Like they're going to change what they need to change. They know it. Well, you know the the big question that I've seen go around Twitter, and I have thoughts on this, but I'm still formulating them. But but <laughs> I. So there's a test that Netflix does, and I forget the name of it right now. But basically, internally, there's this test, and basically, if you don't pass the test during your like quarterly review or whatever it might be, your 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 annual review, Netflix kind of suggests that it might be time for you to look for another job. It's really interesting. Like they'll either fire you or they're kind of like mm, maybe you know it's just not working out for us as much like in their in their cultural deck which anyone can read online they one of the things they pride themselves on is like the severance package like it's in their cultural deck when they're hiring people it's like if it doesn't work out you'll get four months like like or if like within the first like say year it doesn't work whatever it might be um so the question going around twitter now is do you do that test with reed hastings and ted sarandos right like at what point are you kind of like is this not working out anymore is this are you guys leading the company into the red which i mean they're not right now it's fine like i think it's market over um i think it's an overreact i think it's just the market correcting itself but there's that question of like are these the right guys to lead netflix and i would not bet against reed 
I would not even necessarily bet against Ted, but I do think that Netflix needs more than anything else in terms of leadership is an architect. They need a Kevin Feige, a Walter Hamada, a Dave Filoni, a Kathleen Kennedy type. Like they, they need to bring someone in who has an idea of why things work the way they do. So someone who's got the ability to understand the importance of character, the ability to understand the importance of franchise building and the ability to understand the difference in a short term hit for short term gain and a long term investment for that longevity, multi-generational affinity play. And I don't think Netflix has that. Um, and I'm going to say this to someone who who's a data person. I love data, but I always treat data like a, a dove, right? Like you need one wing is science and then one wing is, um, is creativity. They need to almost rely less on their data. Like yeah. bring in people who are going to say, like on paper, the idea of succession on paper doesn't make sense. Like it's like, sure, it's a show about a family. They all suck. Um, and it's a black comedy and, and it, but people are going to love it. Massive hit, right? Like on paper, Euphoria makes a little bit more sense for a teenage show, not for HBO, but you take that chance. Um, the idea, WandaVision on paper is a wild idea for the first TV show out of the gate for a massive, massive superhero, like family franchise. Like, right. but it works. And that's because you have creative people who are saying, I want to play around the sandbox with the characters. I think we can do something really fun here. Um, and, well, and WandaVision, they lucked into it, right? Because Falcon and Winter Soldier was supposed yeah. to be first and they had production problems. But that just goes to show you the other thing about this, which is even though they didn't want to do it, it did work. And, you know, having some intuition and looking at stuff like that. I Look, I, I mean, OK, I'm going to sports again. Um, baseball, like I love Moneyball and the idea that baseball was being managed in ways that were illogical and that if you looked at the numbers and you looked at the data and started paying attention to it, it you would find out ways that you could be successful that nobody was bothering to care about. And that was true. But once everybody's got the data, you can also go too far with it and go overboard because they're still human beings playing the game and you need to be good with the human yes. beings. And, and that's how I feel about this is like it should be an art and a science and Netflix has got the science down but is there enough is there enough room for the people i'm sure there are people at netflix who have lots of things to say about the art part of it i think the challenge is do they get listened to do they get prioritized enough or does it end up coming back to the numbers and the numbers are important but the numbers can't be the only thing exactly and that is something that Netflix, I think, fundamentally understands, but I think their culture, to your to your question about, you know, cultural shifts, their culture is so based on data. I've talked to a lot of people who work there, who currently who have worked there. Um, and that's the kind of the it's biggest data. thing that it, comes up. It is. It's constantly like we have all this data. The data is constantly changing. Have you ever talked to a showrunner who's dealt with Netflix? Like the, the data is constantly changing. How they measure things is changing. What they value is always changing. And I think at its core, like, don't get me wrong, all these other companies have strong data teams and research teams and insights teams who are trying to do the same thing. And they're trying to also build up that side of their work. But Hollywood is an industry built on relationships and creativity and belief in in someone's talent to do something that maybe does not seem like it makes sense, but really does um, once it actually happens, you know. The, uh, I, was, I was just thinking of uh, director Robert Eggers, who's got a new movie coming out. He's got The Northman. It comes out today. And I was thinking about his work. You know, like The Lighthouse and uh, The Witch do, like should not work. Like what those concepts are are really, really um, bizarre. And one could argue on paper dry, but they're two, they're 
two of some of the best movies that have come out in recent years. And that's something because A24 believes in talent. Like A24 mm -hmm. is kind of this idea of like, well, you have this vision and you're a visionary and we want to give you the place to do this. And like that does not necessarily happen at Netflix anymore, but that is what they need. They need someone to say, let's take the bet on the on the vision. Let's take a bet on maybe the data doesn't support it, but we're going to actually create genuine hits that people care about. And again, like I, I, I was saying this before, but this is really the big thing for Netflix. If we think of Netflix, Netflix has produced how many series over the last uh, 10 years, nine years rather. Uh, if we think about them, how many of those characters do you care about? Like, how many of those characters are you sitting there and you're like, oh, man, I really love them? Like, let's say maybe 11, right? Let's say 11 from Stranger Things. <laughs> like, maybe characters from The Witcher. Yeah. Like, you can maybe name a few. But if you ask ask anybody that same question about Disney or HBO, ask, tell them to ask them to name five characters and they'll do it in five seconds. And they're like, I've got right. here's my five characters that I think about all the time that I love and that I would watch whatever they do. You know, AMC has that with Walking Dead and Breaking Bad oh. and Mad Men. Like Netflix does not. Netflix has a bunch of shows, but not one character that people really care about. It is the avatar, like the the, the movies of the of of the industry. And I really hope that this moment for them because it's a, i i still believe in netflix i still am a strong believer in netflix I'm a, i i think they have a lot of issues to figure out and i think there might be some management changes but i really do believe that they're in this moment they'll come through it but they've got to invest in long term like and that and that means investing in character and investing in character led franchises that they just have not done super well uh over the last eight, nine years right all right lot that'll be it's going to be great to watch and to talk about it with you um <laughs> so we'll uh we'll we'll keep an eye um let's move on though because we got to talk about cnn plus <laughs> uh it died they pulled the plug um it is funny okay so again i think our listeners know this already but um you see a lot out there about you know, there are jokes about it lasted less than a, less than Quibi did, an eighth of a Quibi. Um, but uh, the truth is that it, this was, it's complicated, right? Like, this was an attempt to create some sort of a life raft for the CNN brand in a post-cable world. It was clearly not, even though there were like kind of some body language, kind of like, don't do that kind of things. The fact is, the incoming execs obviously didn't want to do this. And the people who were at uh, at the AT and T owned Warner Media kept going, even though the new owners who came in, the new management, immediately scrapped it. Which is really the story here is not oh this was such a flop that you know after a few weeks nobody was subscribed to it and so they killed it. It's like it's not really the case. It's more like the new owners came in and said why did you make this happen? Let's stop this thing is hemorrhaging money. Let's stop it and and try to make the best of a bad situation here. I also keep thinking about Jeff Zucker getting fired, especially since he was f friendly with David Zaslav, the new CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, and think that you know him getting tossed out probably couldn't have helped matters because probably some of the calculation was Jeff Zucker saying, we'll work it out. I'll work it out with Zaz. We'll make it work. And then he's gone. So he's not even there to try and protect CNN Plus or explain what his vision is for it. And we're left with... And really, an unsurprising maybe the speed of it is is a little surprising because I thought they would have an answer of what was going to happen next, and instead they just killed it and then said we'll figure it out later. But like, I don't think I don't think any of us should be surprised by it because the new management didn't want this. The new management uh, thought this was a bad idea. 
Yeah. So, so we, we, <laughs> people who listen to this podcast know that Jason and I love talking about CNN Plus so much. It comes up almost every oh, yes. episode. Um, here's the thing. I just want to reiterate what Jason said because it's a really important point. This was not a platform or app or um, um, failure. Like this was not – everyone keeps making jokes comparing it to Quibi, which is not really fair. Like Quibi from a – like Quibi had eight, nine months to try and do its thing or six months or whatever it was and ultimately failed because it was a poor, poor, poor business uh, plan, uh, arguably without a business plan, actually. Um, and it didn't really understand how humans worked. And I'm going to get into the, a little bit that in a little bit more in one second. This was fundamentally old executives leaving and saying, we're going to push out this product because if we push it out, we think maybe – that the new incoming bosses won't shut it down for about six months in order to kind of save face, right? Like there'll be this moment of like, well, we don't want to just come in and root and and uh, and knock the house down. We want to be able to say, well, the house is really nice. Like we want to walk around it, and and, and then once you leave, you know, very politely say, we're never going to go back to that house again. You know, let's demolish it. Uh, what happened instead was David Zaslav and his team came in and he said, yeah, I don't care about this house at all. This house is blocking my view. It's blocking where I'm going to put my big mansion. So we're going to knock it down. Um, the other thing I really want to reiterate is that it's going to, you know, we have a lot of fun on this podcast um, and the industry is at a very exciting time once again, which is fun. Um, there are going to be a lot of layoffs in the next coming yeah. months uh, from Netflix, from uh, less than Netflix, but I'm sure there'll be some, especially from Warner Brothers Discovery, including the CNN Plus team, but also other teams. And let's just keep that in mind is that this is going to suck for them and they're going to see a lot of commentary on it. Um, and like people still come first, right? Like, uh -huh. It's a really messy thing. Um, but here's, here's what I'll say about the CNN Plus business side of things. It was always designed, according to Jason Kyler, to exist as a tile add-on the way that uh, people, again, I always use Disney Plus. If you see stars, your add-on, like that's kind of that, that idea. As a tile add-on, you go, you get some version of, of, of CNN content. There was ideas of maybe tempering with a live feed of some kind, but that is like another $100 million investment that I don't think they necessarily saw as a wise thing going like, right now. So the idea of what CNN Plus was going to be in its first year is really murky, but the idea was always to bring it into HBO Max on in this app. I think they went to, they went forward with the app because things got very, very, very messy and hairy uh, for that company and they didn't know really what to do and they wanted to get it out. Um, so they did it this way. The other thing though about CNN Plus, which we've talked about in this, is the, like I tweeted this, but it was, it's CNN Plus's quick closure was as much a result of conflicting top-down strategic views from the two exec teams, which is what we were just talking about, as it was though a misread into the value proposition of news within an OTT service and a misread into how consumer appetite for news and news style content has changed from linear to digital. And what I mean by that, and this is always what I come back to because it's my favorite example because I think it's a really smart team, is the New York Times cannot sell you on news. It is a very boring time with the current uh, administration in, in terms of like politically, I don't mean in terms of the world because there is a war happening. But it's right. not like it, Biden is not driving the same headlines as Trump. The Trump era was really great for actual news value coverage because people or news value because people said I have to sign up to know what's happening. When they lost that, the New York Times team sat there and went, news is still inherently value. We understand the inherent value of news as a society. We live in a democracy. We get why news is important. But the perceived value of news that comes with an, a, like a, a fee that you have to pay for gets really, really hard to sell to consumers who, one, are spending $80 a month on 10 different streaming services, uh, and that's just entertainment. But two, when there is really, really great um, coverage out there for free on, on sites that are ad-supported, um, and also... Um, 
in the era of tweets and push notifications. So the New York Times team said, well, what can we sell to make this a habit, to make you open the app enough times and pay for us that we can support our news organization? And the answer came in the form of games, wire cutter, the athletic, which by the way is a bid uh, for basically sports betting. It's this idea of like, well, you have to, you're yep. going to, bet on sports you're going to want to know we have all the best teams who can cover it for you and they say you want to be able to cook you want to be able to play your crossword you want to be able to get the best uh, vacuum recommended to you you want to be able to bet on sports if you sign up for the new york times you will get all of this and also oh yeah it's news and if that strategy sounds familiar it is because it's what barnes and noble has done where you walk into barnes and noble and you're like oh cool i need a candle for my house because i'm thinking about what i want to make my house look pretty by the time you walk to the back you're like oh yeah books there's books here like and this is what Hmm. the bookstore is this is the cnn plus proposition and the issue with it you cannot sell the idea of a non-live cnn product to someone in this moment because that is not what they have that that's not what they're looking for they don't see the immense value in it even if like just excuse me they don't see the perceived value in it even if the inherent value is obvious once you're inside of it so it always made more sense as a habit forming tool to exist within a one unified platform form the problem with it launching when it did is just it couldn't have happened at the worst time and zaslav is clearly not messing around right this is him saying i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do this is like our our new uh, this is us like this is our um our company we're gonna go forward with it and it just really sucks because all cnn plus is gonna be remembered for is this is shutting down within a couple weeks of launching with these really misleading news stories about like, oh, only 10,000 people are watching. Like, it's really hard to get an understanding of how a service works within the first two months, unless you're Disney Plus. Like, that's super difficult to understand. Um, And it sucks because CNN Plus might have stepped onto a few things that actually we can use to learn more about making that shift from linear to digital and OTT for a cable news audience. Um, And instead, we just won't get that. Yeah, um, I do wonder um i mean obviously they wanted to stop the bleeding here too i'm a little surprised that they didn't kind of uh come up like there's no announced plan of what they're going to do obviously they're going to do other stuff with this i think the question is as you as you said what is the future of news coverage because there are times when you really do want to see news whether it's on demand or maybe live um, I, I keep thinking HBO Max is the perfect place for it because it's supplemental material, just as the Discovery stuff is supplemental material. And the catalog stuff that was on CNN Plus is supplementary material. It's stuff that's like, you know, I want to watch cooking or I want to watch nature documentaries or whatever. And then it's like, oh, I wonder what's going on today. And there's a thing you can press that either gives you a live stream or gives you a, a news broadcast from recent times, you know, today that will tell me what's going on. But, um, you know, what do you think... The end game in here is for CNN for you know what was CNN plus and for Warner Brothers Discovery in terms of news content. I, I assume they'll just take the catalog and put it on HBO Max. But what about like what we think of as news shows? They were producing daily shows for CNN plus. Um, they were streaming them live. It looks like, and then they were putting them in the catalog so you could if you didn't tune in live, it was okay because then you would be able to go back and just play it on demand. Um, and then there's also you know. They could do a live stream. Some of their competitors have a live stream where they've built up uh, for a lot less money a sort of like B team, C team that's doing uh, a 24-7, you know, linear stream that you can just flick on if you want to. And they could put that on as a, an add-on or or just part of HBO Max. Where, where do you think the, the assorted parts of CNN Plus and CNN are headed? 
So first, actually, I had a question for you. Do you have yeah. to cancel your subscription or is it just I, automatically? I, I think they actually automatically shut it down and, and they said that they're giving refunds. I, I turned off my auto renew on CNN Plus <laughs> like two weeks ago, but I just did it for the first month to see what was on there. And it nothing convinced me that I didn't want to turn off auto renew immediately. <laughs> So I think they might get my money back. I was, but, I was, but, but, yeah, I was but I'm asking, about you. what what about reliable sources daily and the newscast with Wolf Blitzer and stuff like that? Like, you know, they they have the catalog content. They've got original shows that they were doing. And this idea of alerts that say this thing is going on and we're going live, yeah. which is probably a more kind of a streaming native approach to it, is when there's something to say, we'll go live. Yeah. Um, although you could do that on a linear channel anyway and just have the linear channel be recycled stuff until you break in with the live it's six of one and half a dozen of the other but what do you think about like because the, they have these assets they have the name cnn they have the stuff that's in the catalog they have the people they hired to create original digital shows um i would doubt that it's all going to continue but certainly they need to make a new strategy for how how the cnn brand is handled and how news is handled if they're going to do news content in hbo max yeah so a bunch of the shows that already exist and have been running and they have episodes will go live on the hbo max app um some of the lesser watched ones will probably go to the cnn app um if people <laughs> remember cnn has an app uh and yeah. there's the idea that discovery wants to generate more ad revenue from that so they the idea is to take some of those kind of live shows move them to the CNN app um, and kind of right. create a place for digital people, which makes more sense. Like people are, might, might right. be more inclined to open that app. I still think... Yeah, it's an original digital show, but it's got ads in it and that's and it's ad-supported. So it's basically like extra CNN on streaming. Like it doesn't... it it, it that, that could work. Could work. Yeah, I, I, I still think trying to get people to open an app is still really difficult. And like maybe yeah. these are the type of shows that get people to open an app, but I doubt it. That said, though, CNN is a very, very good brand. I'm sure people are using that app constantly. And any way to increase ad revenue is going to be great. I do you think... push notifications. Exactly. You could say, well, Blitzer's live right now with the latest and you tap and you're watching their streaming show. Yeah, I, could be. I, I, I still think um, the biggest issue that they're going to have to figure out i know that this is something that um the teams at like espn are also thinking about is how do we get to the point where you can offer effectively this service that people actually want um but just without a uh, a link to cable um for let's say you know 25 bucks a month like whatever it is like you want cnn you can pay like 20 bucks a month and that gives you some other stuff on top of it it actually does become like a cnn plus um or the idea is like that would be like you know maybe along the similar lines that might be like when espn plus actually it's okay you actually get all this you pay a little bit more but you're getting the cable equivalent and i think until they figure that out the idea of like cnn plus's original programming fits really well within what you know hbo films and hbo documentaries already does and also fits in really well with half of the verticals at discovery so why wouldn't you just make those discovery plus or hbo max or super disco bro plat you know uh uh, plus minus whatever you want to call it um Mm -hmm. whatever it becomes like why wouldn't you just um fit it into there and i think that's what we will see happen i think a lot of the cnn branded content will continue to exist they'll continue to have budgets to do that because cnn films and cnn docuseries are still incredibly you know sought after and they're in demand um and those will just exist with a cnn banner on them like that that's what will happen um but two i think the bigger issue that we're going to have to really figure out is like 
this inherent demand that exists for cable opinion and uh, news type content is there. But that audience that is tuning in at 9 p.m., like there was this moment where David Zaslav said, what if we leave? Or, there was an idea. I was reading in the story. Apparently, there's an idea that he's like, what if we left the nine o'clock slot blank uh, on primetime and we just run, you know, global news like it becomes a new show in the way that it should be. And it's like, yeah, except that you've lost 70 percent of your core audience yeah. because they left with Chris Cuomo and you're just going to drive more people towards MSNBC and Fox because people who are tuning in at 9 p.m. on cable to watch a, a news program are not the same audience uh, as a global audience like that idea actually works really well for a digital audience because they are much more interested in global news. They're much more interested in kind of seeking out stuff that's really relevant to them and you can kind of curtail it. But the idea of being like, well, th- what we do for linear, we can do for digital just doesn't make any sense in terms of how those two different audiences uh, uh, interact with the new with the news content that they have. And I think that is the bigger issue with CNN. Like CNN's bigger issue is kind of like, how do we protect the future of our brand and the future and our future longevity while also ensuring that the 75 million pay TV households that still exist in America are still going to pay for CNN. Their advertisers are happy because they want, yeah. you know, you lose 70% of your core demographic, your advertisers are going to be really upset and they're going to get less. Like it's just a whole thing. There's a reason why that type of opinion programming works. And John Malone and who's a big investor in discovery uh, and, and, and David Zaslav want to change that. And I really respect that because God, knows we could do with less opinion cable news anchoring but like there is this revenue side of the question that get, becomes really difficult and if you're trying to protect the future of the brand by really leaning into news which is something that your digital audience wants alienating your linear television audience who is going to like we start to die off which sounds really macabre but it's true like that yeah. seems like a really interesting and I don't know. Uh, it's interesting, I suppose, way to go about it. So I think CNN has this bigger issue, which is like the idea of what this brand is going forward and how they change it to be something that they think will have better protection in the future. And that's something that a lot of people who work in news organizations are trying to figure out. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, the good news is they have the CNN brand and they have people working there and they've got the new management who probably either has or is formulating a plan about how to how to do this. And and that's to, to wrap back around to it. That's the story of CNN plus getting killed is the new management doesn't want to do what the old management did. And that's the whole story. And I don't think even a if the like how much better would the numbers have had to be for them not to kill it right away? And I think the answer is there is no realistic first three weeks number for subscribers realistic number that would be enough yeah. right sure they're gonna, oh, what if 20 million people signed up for cnn plus well sure but that was not gonna happen this is this is about strategy and doing what they want to do because they have the keys now exactly it's, it's their it's their company and the people who formulated cnn plus are gone so cnn plus is gone too exactly That's bottom line bottom line all right well emergency covered (laughs) i guess um we just felt like we needed to not wait until uh our may 3rd episode to to cover this so we we pop back in hi we're back uh, a little early for this one Uh, but we'll be back on may 3rd so now we put the axe back into into the emergency glass box yeah for for now we've closed yeah we've closed the emergency box for now if there's another emergency uh, on the scale of losing cnn plus and having netflix's kind of earth shattering results happen then we can we can open that that door again but um but please send us emails downstream at relay.fm or tweet at downstream pod we love getting your emails love to your mothers um julia is at loudmouth julia on twitter and of course parrot there's a newsletter you can sign up for too and get lots of insights about 
the media space from Parrot Analytics, uh, you should definitely do that. Uh, find me at JasonL on Twitter and SixColors.com for all my writing and podcasts and stuff. And r- this time for sure, until next time in a little less than a fortnight. Uh, goodbye, Julia. Bye, Jason. Bye, Jason.